Welcome to the Print Shop and my fourth podcast. In the first segment, I want to pay tribute to many, many people who provided a helping hand along my life's way and who I dearly love and cherish. And as I sit at my computer and look out over the landscape towards the 20 Mile Creek, I am so blessed that I have had so many wonderful years in this great community of Smithville. My father and mother come first, and without their structured family customs and support, our family of 13 members would not have survived over the years. Yes, three children died at birth or shortly after, but 10 sons and daughters were able to survive through a deep depression era in the 30s and 40s. We were taught to work for and with the family and always living on farms, and my father working in farming gave us an advantage. We were able to grow a lot of our food and save. Following my brother's death in World War II and my father's illness and death shortly after, I was left the only son in my family. I left high school at the age of 17 and went to work. My mother was a great support through the rest of my life and was my cheerleader. I will have more to say about my mother in a podcast about the printing business. Although my time with my brother was short, he was someone who I admired and looked up to. He bought me my first tricycle. He took me hunting and bought me my first dog, which was a hound, and we trained him to hunt and round up cattle. I can still remember going coon hunting at nighttime with Wes Ricker, who lived near Canberra, and my brother. They played a number of tricks on me when I was looking after the dogs. When the family lived on Robinson Road Farm, owned by Bartlett and Thiel from Dunville, our neighbors were James Hartnett and his wife Grace. Mr. Hartnett had a contract in those days to grow and supply tomatoes to a canning factory in Dunville. The story I'm going to tell does not mean Mr. Hartnett. Mr. Hartnett used child labor. I was so happy to be part of this growing crop and harvest. I was seven years old and he and I would plant a 10-acre field in the spring and I helped harvest in the fall. He even bought me my first little red wagon and that is what I used to carry the plants as we planted row after row. Mr. Hartnett would have a can of water strapped to his back and he used a spade to dig the hole, provide a small amount of water and I would place the tomato plant behind the spade. I learned so much from this experience and provided me with my outlook on life that includes a belief in a strong work ethic. Then when my family moved to Smithville, the first experience of working after school was at the camp residence, which I explained in one of my previous podcasts. Following that, I moved on to delivery groceries and meat, and that, and that taught me how to handle money be polite and respectful to people who hired me and the customers. Some may wonder when I had time to play and enjoy school. But to the contrary, I enjoyed school, my time with my buddies, and played sports. The time I spent with my great friend Bill Shrum delivering milk in Smithville was was particularly special. I need to pay a tribute to Bill's father and mother, Charles and Mabel Shrum, They taught Bill and I many lessons in handling money, the art of harnessing a horse and hooking it to a buggy, as well as delivering and collecting milk bottles. 
Charles was a great friend of our family, and he was always there to help with preparing our garden with his horses and disc. More on Charles Shrum in another podcast about his love of chickens and the many years he exhibited at fairs, Canadian National Exhibition, and the Royal Winter Fair. Then came the bowling alley experience, and the friendship I enjoyed over the years with Lloyd Killens and his son Gordon Killens, both in the bowling alley and the grocery store business. I will always remember that when I accumulated enough money, I was able to buy a new suit from Mr. Killens. He did have a clothing department as part of his store. Quitting school at the age of 17 and going to work full-time at the Smithville Review was the biggest change in my life, and I will always have the highest regards for Mr. George Adams and Mrs. Marjorie Adams. I had been working part-time after school, and it was through their guidance and support that would build the foundation of my life over the next many years. I want to leave more on my life at the printing shop for another podcast when I can give many more details and, and describe all of my experiences. George Adams was my second father, and I will always be grateful for what I was able to accomplish because of his presence in my life. As my life evolved in Smithville, people who I learned from and who gave me support were Mr. Gordon Theed, village official, Mr. Ora Fellows, who was not only a friend, but he was my insurance agent when I built my first house. I sometimes wondered whether I had insurance, as he was very lax in notifying you when it was due, but it always worked out. Ora was Reeve and later mayor of the township and was always gracious and willing to donate in his time and machinery when I asked him to look after softball fields at the park. He always included me in meetings with township councils and the county in earlier years. I will finish this segment by telling the story of a trip I was included in that the Lincoln County Council took from Welland by train to Detroit for ball games at the old Detroit ballpark. We had a full train car and we watched a game on Saturday and Sunday and then returned home. For a young person of that age, it was truly an experience. The next two people I want to mention are two men who operated businesses in the village. The first person is James Hiscott, who had a machine shop and also a farm machinery depot. When we were growing up and rode bicycles, we, all, we could always rely on James to repair our bicycles. This was really important as they were expensive then and he taught me how to replace spokes in the wheels. We had a nickname for him, Bicycle Jimmy. The next person was Mr. Jack Shepard who operated a machine shop and car business. Plus, as years following the Second World War, he also built Shep's Inn, which had gas pumps and a small garage. He also operated for several years McCall Frontenac Garage and Gas Station on St. Catherine Street. Jack took over the machine shop business from his father. Jack Shepard served in both the First and Second World Wars. Mr. W.E. Shepard, who I missed when reporting on the fire department history, was appointed fire chief in 1915. He was Jack's father and served for several years before Gordon Thede. During my life at the Smithville Review and Crothers Printing, I called on Jack to bail me out on many occasions when a press would break down. 
I'll always remember one Tuesday afternoon printing the first four pages of the weekly paper that a gear seized up and several teeth broke out on a large gear wheel. I called on Mr. Shepard and by working through till the wee hours of the morning, he replaced the teeth in the gear and the press was ready to run again. The lesson I learned as he gathered up his tools and was departing was that a drop of oil would have prevented that mishap. I even learned how to properly use a file and many other tools in the machinery business. I will always be very grateful. While rebuilding my first home on Dufferin Street, I was fortunate enough to have the help of one Archie Griffin, who had been a builder in his day, and he spent a few hours several times giving me instructions how to pour footings and then how to mix mortar and lay up a cement block wall to lower the house onto. The house that had been a wartime resident in Hamilton and, <clears throat> and I had it moved to the site. Later on in my business life, Archie Griffin became a great friend, and I will elaborate on that matter in a future podcast. Two local citizens who provided advice and much-needed help in the construction of my first home were John Belcott and William Field. I owe a great lot of thanks for their expertise in electrical and plumbing. During my early years in the ownership of the Smith Review, my father-in-law, Mr. K. Berndahl, was a great mentor and provided mechanical help in modernizing how several machines were changed from belt-driven to direct drive. to learn to skate on the 20 mile creek which was our skating rink and then came softball as a summer sport. I never did become a very good hockey player although we played many a shinny game on the creek and they did let me play on a few teams that played in local leagues. Grimsby and Dunville were the only local communities that had indoor rinks. In learning to skate I have to give credit to Mr. William Hunter. He would come skating on the creek with the young people and I paid attention to how an accomplished skater he was and therefore I tried some of his finer points of things he was able to do as he glided up and down the ice surface of the creek. He was not only a harness maker and operated a shoe repair store on Griffin Street, he also provided a place where citizens could go to sit around his pot-bellied stove to reminisce. But in softball, I was fortunate to get involved with a senior men's team just going to practices and shagging balls in the outfield. Over the ensuing years, they let me take a big part on the team. I played several positions, including outfield, second base, and then as a catcher. Murray Comfort was coach then, and he gave me a chance to become a member of the team. This team played in the Fruit Belt League that included teams from Grimsby, Beamsville, Winona, Stop 69, Stony Creek, and others. When the Lincoln Wentworth Floodlight League was formed in 1949, the four teams in the league were Mount Hope, Stony Creek, Waterdown, and Rickman's Corners. There were a few teams added in later years. 
The first year, Smithville had to play their home games at Abington as they had installed lights on their field a few years previous and our field did not have the lights. In 1950, the ball team and the community partners led by Dudley Comfort raised the money to install lights on our ball field and that was the year that the community convinced the council to buy the Smithville Fairgrounds from the Smithville Agricultural Society and thus it was called a community park. The installation of the lights cost some $10,000 which was a great accomplishment for our small community and thanks to Mr. Dudley Comfort. When the Floodlight League was formed, the Smithville team asked me to be the team representative on the executive of the league. I was named league treasurer and it was an honor to serve on the executive with such honorable men as Mr. Alan Dickinson, businessman and cattle exporter from Mount Hope, Dr. R. Green, a noted physician and surgeon from Stony Creek, and Richard Felker from Stony Creek. It is sad how over the years sports in many communities have changed. Softball was a major sport from 1930 on and now in many of the local areas there is very little played. In the, night, in the 50s and 60s it was great to see hundreds of spectators line the fences and in the stands to watch ball games from peewee to senior. Just one note that in 1950 when Smithville was playing for the championship in Intermediate C against Amherstburg, the whole field was surrounded by spectators and it was estimated to be about 2,500. During my years playing ball, coaching and umpiring, <clears throat> my mentors were Joe Belcott, Royal Tiley, Arthur Armstrong, Les Ruber, Steve Mate, Howard Shepard, and I'm sorry if I missed others. I want to do a podcast later on my friendship with Joe Belcott. to include part of some history information I was able to obtain from one of Smithville's older citizens on January 15, 1980. I had the opportunity to sit down with Mr. William Page, who was 90 years old at the time, and he related some of his views on how Smithville and area was developed and a number of projects he was involved in. The Page family were one of the earlier families that settled here. William was a cousin of Frank Page who published the first book on the history of our village. Frank's father was Alfred Page and a brother to Calvin Page. The Page family members were George Samuel, Calvin, who was a farm agent for Cockshut Farm Equipment, Alfred, a farmer, Jim was a saddle maker before he moved to Kansas, Moira, and her nickname was Maggie, Hannah, Mary Patterson, and Elizabeth Kerr. Mr. Page was a very sound mind at this age. It was interesting to sit with him and just record what he, what he took part in during his lifetime. He took time to take us on a tour through the streets and alleys of the village and point out where people operated businesses and lived. 
First, I must mention Mr. Page loved music and was a, an accomplished banjo, violin, and mouth organ player. He never took a lesson. He just played by ear. I had the opportunity many times in my young life to hear him and a number of his buddies play at different events. How many people today remember Chivaries? Well, in Mr. Page's time, he and several of his game, gang, namely John Knox and Edgar Sherton, would be present following the event to play music and the crowd would dance in honor of the newlywed couple. Mr. Page recalled when 20 Highway was built in 1930, taking some four years to build. We drew stone by horse and wagon from several quarries in the area, one being the one on the town line road, which is now being converted to a park and soccer fields. This quarry also supplied all the stone for the railway right away from Smithville to Dunville in the years 1914 to 1918. Mr. Page also mentioned that Mr. William Grant was the first foreman on the highway crew that patrolled the new road. Mr. Page was able to point out the location and who operated and lived in homes and businesses on the various streets that were either mud or stone surfaces at that time. Sam Woodland had the first foundry here and it was located near the creek on Canberra Street, later owned by James Heskett and now vacant. There was a number of hotels or houses for travelers in those days to stay at. Andrew Franks operated the hotel on 20 Highway, now Griffin Street. Mr. Haverstock followed him and then Charles Adams. In future years, Mr. and Mrs. Steve Mate. The White Hotel, which was located at the corner of Highway 20 and Station Street on the northwest corner, was first operated by Ted Atkins and was built in the early 1800s. This building was destroyed by fire in 1886. It was later rebuilt on this site by Isaac Overholt, and in the late 1930s, it was turned into apartments. It is now a small parquette. Ransom Cooper owned the hotel and livery stable in the early 1900s, and it was located on the east side of Griffith Street, across from the Shepherd Building. It was known by the name of the Village Inn Hotel at one time. The livery stable was situated at the rear of the property. Mr. Page was able to name a number of doctors who were here in the village during his 90 years. They were Dr. Henning, Dr. G.D. McPherson, Dr. Sinclair, Dr. Pryor, Dr. Dalrymple, Dr. Robinson, Dr. McMurchie, Dr. Hamilton, Dr. Turner, Dr. J.M. Zumpstein, Dr. J.H. Leeds, Dr. Russell, and there could have been more. Remembering, he also noted that Calvin Page built a swing bridge for the Adams family that allowed them access to the 20-mile creek when the banks overflowed. There was also a swing bridge on the woodland property near the bridge in the village. Now the time has come to close up shop and deliver printed material to my good customer Sam Kingma at Empire Transportation in Grimsby. I wish you well, and I will have to include more of Mr. Page's memories in another podcast. 